Have you ever watched a movie uh, or TV show, maybe a Netflix, maybe, maybe even read a book, that at the end it just left you hanging? I mean, you got to that last page, you watched that last minute, and you're just thinking, no, no, it cannot end like this. And, and maybe, you know, you hold out hope for a sequel, and that sequel never comes. That's like if you read the story of Nehemiah for the first time, and you, maybe even if, if you lived that story back then, those real people who lived out this story that we've been looking through in the book of Nehemiah, that's what they would have felt like. This is it? This cannot be how it ends. It, it is a tragedy. And, and one of the downsides of how, you know, we've gone through it kind of chapter by chapter, one of the downsides is uh, just to get that whole story, uh, the, the whole arch, the, the, the arch of the story, and, the, and then to be let down at the end, um, I think we miss the heartbreak of the story of Nehemiah. Um, so, so today we're going to try to recap and summarize the book um, because this is really... Is, is a heartbreaking book. They've made, so, they made so much progress in the midst of so much opposition. They rebuilt that wall. And then they made so much progress in their relationship with God. But, but the, the taste that you have in your mouth at the very end, after chapter 13, and if you weren't here last week, everything falls apart <laughs> in chapter 13. It just falls apart. All the commitments that they made, they broke. And they kept them for a time, but then Nehemiah left, and all of them, they broke those commitments. And it just can't be how the story ends, right? Well, that's how the story of Nehemiah ends. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Should be heartbreaking. So, Nehemiah, we've seen this theme throughout the book, and I think it's a fitting way to summarize the book. It, it is a book of restoring brokenness together. Together meaning with each other, like the whole community pitched in, but also together like with God. Uh, they work together with God to restore brokenness. And, and you might be thinking, well, what brokenness did they restore? First, they restored a wall in the first half of the book. Uh, the second half focused on restoring the, the covenant relationship with God. That, that was the brokenness and so today, I want us to look at, throughout this, this tragic narrative, uh, what are some marks of restoration? What, what does restoration look like? Um, what are some characteristics of it for them then and, and for us now? This isn't just a book that we learn about history, but it's actually a book with incredible application to our lives. So, so we're going to look at restoration and, and four marks of restoration. And the very first is prayer. We saw prayer at the very beginning of Nehemiah when Nehemiah heard about the wall being broken down. Um, he prayed. He, he, he actually fasted and wept and he prayed to God. And his, his prayer was, God, God, would you remember your promise God, you said if we turned away from you, this brokenness would happen. But God, you also said if we turned back to you, that you would restore us. So, so there was prayer at the beginning and there was prayer at the end. Nehemiah prays throughout the book, but he ends with a prayer saying, God, 
after all this brokenness happens and Nehemiah goes around the city and does what he can to, to restore it, he says, God, remember me for good. So, so prayer at the beginning, prayer at the end. There's something about restoration and prayer. There, there's just some, there's, there's a relationship there. There's a connection. And, and it starts with both times, but, but at the beginning and the end, Nehemiah was absolutely broken over the brokenness of God's people. So, so you know, just applying that to our lives, uh, what are you broken about? What is it that grieves you? And, and maybe you're not really broken about anything. Maybe you're like, well, my life's pretty good right now. What should you be broken about? Because what drove Nehemiah's prayers was his brokenness. The way that he saw God's people being broken, both at the beginning and the end of the book. And I think prayer both shows our passion, like it shows our passion or lack thereof, in how we pray and how much we pray, but prayer also shapes our passion. And when we engage God in prayer for restoration, it changes us. So, prayer and restoration, they just go hand in hand. Nehemiah prayed at the very beginning and at the very end of this story, and he prayed throughout. And if you want to be used by God, and God does want to use you to restore brokenness together with him and with his people, just pray. You don't have to, you know, know all the churchy words. God loves it when you talk to him. So just just talk to God. Pray. The second mark of restoration uh, throughout this story is progress. From chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12, they make incredible progress. I mean, they rebuilt a wall in 52 days that had been torn down for years, broken down for years. And, and their progress took a lot of hard work. It didn't just happen. They didn't just show up, put in a couple hours every day, and then it happened. They worked long days. And their progress was the wall, uh, each person playing their part, but their progress was also in the covenant relationship. Um, progress looks like this. Here, here's what progress looked like and felt like for them. They heard the word of God and they, they felt like a complete failure and so they wanted to mourn. And, and what, what they were told to do was, no, you go and party <laughs> because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what progress looked like and felt like, doing what they didn't want to do, doing what they didn't feel like doing, but they chose to do it and they made progress. They took the next step. Progress looked like making commitments and keeping commitments. And they did that for a time in the later chapters. Progress looked like people stepping up to serve. Progress looked like celebrating the fact that the wall was finished. Those people in Nehemiah's time, they made progress. And it was hard work, but this is a mark of restoration. This is a mark of, of things being restored as progress is made. And so, you know, when it comes to us today, can we expect progress? 
yeah, we should expect progress. But we should define progress as God does. Progress into Christ-like character. And it rarely comes easily. It rarely, if ever, happens overnight. Progress doesn't happen overnight. So, with regards to progress, are, are, are you doing the work, you know? The, are, are you taking responsibility for your part of this restoring brokenness together? If so, I, and I just want you to be encouraged and stay after it and stay focused on the person of Christ and the process of, of progress. But if, if not, if you're not doing the work to progress, then, then why is that? Is it because you've, thought, you, you've begun to think that progress isn't possible? Or, or maybe you think, yeah, I, I know it's possible, but it's just not worth it. Progress and, and making progress towards God, God's purposes for our lives, it's a mark of restoration. It's what happens when God restores brokenness. And the third mark of restoration is, is, is regress. <laughs> we don't just live lives of ongoing progress. We all mess up. Nobody's perfect. And we see that in chapter 13 uh, in spades. I mean, that's all chapter 13 is about, is how, how it all fell apart. Brokenness is restored together, and restoration is broken together. Uh, what, I think what happened at, at the core of chapter 13 is everybody let each other down because they made these commitments to follow God together. And uh, then, you know, person number one saw person number two not keeping the commitment. And he was like, ah, it's not worth the effort. It's not worth having the hard conversation because honestly, I'm kind of done with that commitment too. And so person number three looked at person number one and two and they were like, yeah. Uh, everybody's doing it, so, I mean, whatever. They, they didn't speak the truth in love. And uh, that's, that's what we're called to do today. Community, this type, of com- this type of friendship and relationship that is pursuing Christ together, it's, it's not optional in the Christian life. I'm not saying that it saves you. That's not what makes you right with God at all. But it's not optional. Nowhere are we given an option to live by ourselves. The expectation is that we live together. So, can we expect regress? And what do we do with our shortcomings? As we move towards God's purposes for our lives, as we move towards God restoring us, we can expect to mess up we can also expect that that does not define us. We don't have to stay there. And we can and we should surround ourselves with other people who can help pick us up when we fall down. And so thinking about your own life, what, what regress, what lack of progress, it just needs stopped. You've been overlooking something. You've been minimizing how big of a deal a particular habit or pattern is. 
what regress in your life needs stopped? Because restoration is just not going to happen on its own. We, we have to be intentional to say, that's not right, that needs stopped. And we also, it helps to bring other people in because brokenness is restored together. So talk to God, confess your sins to God, and confess your sins to other people. Brokenness is restored together and, and, and restoration is broken together. So, with that being said, I, I want to I make a quick note on progress and regress. Uh, the next slide. There we go. Um, it's easy to think, you know, I'm not where I want to be. Uh, you know, so-and-so, like, th- there's so much more ahead of me. Th- this really, it's about you, but really it's not. Progress and regress, growing, in, growing into Christ-like character uh, we don't do it to like puff ourselves up. We do it to bless other people. Th- this, this affects future generations. And we see this also throughout the book of Nehemiah. There's a whole bunch of lists of names. And I think every single list of names is to reference, hey, your walk with God, it impacts other people. It impacts future generations. And so... It, it just has really ingrained into me this phrase. As much as you're a part of us today, you're shaping our tomorrow. And I really believe that. No matter if it's a church or if, it, if it's a company or a family, your involvement in people's lives today, it shapes your involvement and, and, and their lives for, for the future. The present impacts the future, and this works both for good and for ill. So, you know, think about raising your kids. Think about your friendships. As much as you're a part of us today, and the type of involvement that you have today, it shapes your impact tomorrow, both for good or for ill. And and maybe for some of you, you, you might like, hear that statement and feel pressure. That, that's not my intention at all. Um, vi- vision and hope is my intention. Uh, because our hope is, 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 is in this. The story of Nehemiah ends with chapter 13, but God's story does not. That is not the end of God's story. Ultimately, restoration is God's work. So, so the story of Nehemiah ends, and that's like the last, that's one of the last voices in the Old Testament. This, this brokenness of chapter 13, this tragedy is ringing for 400 years. For 400 years, God was silent in prepping his people for what would come next. So remember, you know, that taste in your mouth or that feeling in your stomach when you're like, ah, story can't end this way. 400 years is a long time to have that. But in the silence, I think there's an echo. Not just from Nehemiah, but from the whole Old Testament. And this is the echo. God is faithful. We 
are not. God is faithful. The people are not. God always acts rightly. Nobody else does. Even the best of our leaders. Not enough. Not enough. God is faithful. The people are not. And today is Palm Sunday. And when I think of Palm Sunday, I think of God being faithful to fulfill his promise to send a king and not just any king, but even a king that he said, I'll send the king riding into the city on a donkey. (laughs) And he did it. God is faithful. And the people acclaimed him as king, Palm Sunday. And then crowds, the crowds acclaimed him as king and crowds said, crucify him. Five days later, God is faithful. We're not. Not the kind of faithfulness that God requires. But God's faithfulness is ultimately demonstrated on our behalf on the cross when he punishes He punishes unfaithfulness. A just God punishing sin and at the same time giving us mercy, that which we do not deserve. God is both just and justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been unfaithful and I know that Man, if God's offering me forgiveness, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Well, (laughs) you don't have to do anything. You just have to believe and receive this free gift. It's grace. it's It's a gift. But God does require, he does call you and invite you to commit your whole life to him. So, so just tell God, if that's you today, just tell God, yeah, I want to quit living my, my life my way, and I want you to be king, Jesus, because you are king. I want you to be king of my life. And he will forgive all your sin, and he will lead you. He will be your king. And here's, here's more good news. <laughs> we can actually change when he's our king. We won't ever become perfectly faithful people until we die or until Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, in this life, we can actually become faithful people. What that means is people marked, marked by progress, not by regress. We can actually improve. And yeah, I mean, we still regress. We still sin. But the gospel changes us. And there's all sorts of verses that kind of highlight how this happens. I just want to point you to one today, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And, and here's all it says, is how, how do we change? How do we become more faithful people? Is, is look to Jesus. And, and looking to Jesus looks like making choices of throwing off stuff that hinders us, throwing off addictions that we have, addictions even to like checking email. I mean, you know, like throwing off anything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us so that we can run, run the race set before us. Looking to Jesus can look like surrounding yourself with people. Like Hebrews 12.1 says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we have all these faithful people in our past and in our present, let's, 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 let's run this race. 
Let's move towards faithfulness, move towards deeper relationship with God. Jesus focused on the joy set before him. So if you're going through hardship, you can look past that and say, I know there's joy coming because that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus promised me. And even in the midst of hardship, you don't have to ignore, you, you don't, looking past hardship, you don't have to ignore the fact that, hey, it's really hard. But you can also say, God really loves me because he disciplines those he loves. That's all out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. So, so we've talked about Nehemiah's invitation, or Nehemiah invitation and announcement. I, I want to end our time in Nehemiah by just really clearly giving what I believe is God's invitation to anyone who trusts him as Lord and Savior. God's invitation is, come, let's restore brokenness together. And let's start with your heart. Let's restore brokenness together. We're going to start with the me that you can't see your heart. And God says, don't worry, I know it's scary, but I don't despise a broken heart. Psalm 51. In fact, a broken heart, that's the offering. That's the worship that I love. That's the offering I desire. And out of this restored and ongoing restoring of your heart, you're going to live a free life, a full life, an abundant life, the life that I have for you. In fact, you will taste and see my life. Sharing in the life of God. That is his invitation. So as a community being changed on the heart level, we desire to bring change, but we can't look at the outside. The change that God's after is on the heart level. So we pray, we experience progress, we experience regress, and ultimately we keep pressing on because of our relationship with God. He is the great restorer of brokenness. So let's pray together. Lord, we come to you believing that you've made us right with you, that our words aren't <laughs> floating into the air. Our, even as they pray silently, their thoughts aren't floating into the air and, and, and not ever being heard. You've made us right with you because your son took our place on the cross And we believe that he rose again and this, this resurrection power is available to us. This new life. So just help us. Just help us press in. Share the brokenness of our hearts with you and with others as you would, as you would lead us.
we give we give our hearts again to you now and we pray that that would just be consistent in our lives whether we're really happy or really feeling sad or really feeling nothing at all keep talking to God about what's inside of you and and let him talk to you during this time too